now then folks welcome back i'm your host simon ward and this is a high performance human triathlon podcast where i can promise you'll always hear a yorkshire accent and we'll never have any adverts we chat with our guests about peak performance fitness health nutrition recovery longevity relationships and happiness because it doesn't matter whether you want to finish your first sprint triathlon set a pb at your next race or just keep turning up until you're in your 70s. Each of these elements has proper significance. Now, can you believe it's been six long months since the grumpy old coaches recorded a podcast together? I couldn't either. So they're back today as we discuss some of the biggest mistakes triathletes make leading up to their A races. And we've made a few as well, and we'll be sharing those with you. By the way, you can get access to a lot more information if you're on my mailing list. I typically email my group three times a week with tips and hints on a whole range of topics as well as upcoming podcast guests and if you'd like to join you can find a link in the show notes below or you can email beth at thetriathloncoach.com and as a blatant bribe i've also got a free gift for anyone who signs up all right enough of the waiting here they are the other two grumpy old coaches as we get back together to record our latest podcast Welcome back. It's been a long time. The grumpy old coaches, Steve and Mark. Nice to see you, fellas. Nice okay. to see you. Yeah. Nice to be back. What's been happening in your world's little potted history since we spoke at Christmas? Steve? Well, I entered an Ironman and then I decided I'd uh, I better do a race before it, <laughs> which I attempted a couple of weekends ago with a marked race. Um, maybe I can tell you more about that in a while. Mm. <laughs> it didn't. It didn't. I think, in uh, keeping with uh, today's topic, it didn't go quite as planned. <laughs> bit, 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 bit ring rusty then, Steve. Definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, because uh, I'd I'd sort of forgotten about this until we started chatting about it um, about the call. But we did sort of have this little commentary, didn't we, for a, a few seconds in the last podcast about setting each other a challenge, and then fortunately it got sort of ignored. <laughs> Nobody took us up on it. But you you remembered, Steve. Yeah, yeah, it was in the back of my mind. Yeah, yeah, we should well, do do something. Well, you well, so that's yours, Mark. What about you? Um, you've been putting on races because Steve's been there. Um, yeah, yeah, just been busy stuff, putting on races and trying to get get back to normal with the events and uh, just yeah, sorting out the shop and we're opening a new bike shop in a opens in a week as well. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, and uh, and my leg fell off in February and. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've got Ironman UK in three weeks, which I'm not sure that's going to happen. But hey, I might just walk around the run. We'll see what happens. <laughs> you you were just telling us about that. So for people who don't know, you had a you had some hamstring uh, tendon issues a few years ago. You had an operation, and then you were telling us that that's sort of coming away now. And as as you were telling it, I was thinking about my action man who used to have those bits of elastic that holding his legs on, and and then one day mm. one of them broke, and his leg didn't stay on as well. It was a bit wonky. Is that is that a bit like you now? Yeah, I'm like a crap version of Stretch Armstrong. Do you remember that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I always it, remember, do you know, when you were kids and you, on Christmas you could take a toy into school. Yeah, and everybody would come in with a toy, and there was always like there'd always be a stretch Armstrong and be one kid in one corner of the room and another kid in another <laughs> pulling the stretch Armstrong <laughs> until somebody let go and they lost his teeth, yeah. smack him in the face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, so my, my hamstrings kind of torn off the bone again, and it's just uh, I don't know, just. We'll see. Fifty years of age and everything's falling apart. That is that, that is the future, I'm afraid, Mark. 
yeah you've you've got a few years to catch up on me and steve but um yeah <laughs> you know but uh so anyway so you steve you you're doing an iron man in a few weeks mark you've got um your third of july for yours what's yours steve about there sort of uh... it's, a, it's just a week later 10th yeah okay okay well i i, I wasn't entirely um negligent in entering for a challenge because uh before covid um a group of friends and myself had entered for this uh big long gravel ride in um sort of either side of hadrian's wall from the west coast of scotland um near dalbeach right across through kielder forest and over to um just south of annick and it's happening um as we're chatting by the time the podcast comes out it'll have been done but it's happening this saturday starting at 4 a.m and uh, hopefully finishing by before midnight. So 300 kilometres, uh, 4,000 metres of climbing, 50% of it um, on forest trails. So I, I have got a big challenge. Good can, on I you, can I tell you a little story actually about my ride last weekend? You'll love this. Go ahead. So um, I took, it's a nice story this, because I, I took my dad's 86 now and his brother's 85. And for their birthday, um, I took them to Sicily. So my dad's dad, my granddad, died in World War II. He died in Sicily. And there's a big Commonwealth cemetery, amazing place, really well kept, where they, you know, um, all the soldiers were buried from Australia, from UK, from New Zealand. So because it was his birthday and he's kind of 86, I said, come on, let's, we'll go to Sicily for the weekend and we'll go and see the grave. A really nice uh, weekend with my dad and his brother and uh, reminiscing old stories and all this. And then on, on the Sunday, I thought, I'm going to hire a bike and go out for a bike ride. And I hired a gravel bike from some guy in, there in uh, Catania and he lent me his cycling shoes as well because I didn't have any cycling shoes. And I looked on Strava and found a route that appeared as a road route. And it was 70 odd miles and it was a lap of Mount Etna. I thought that's the one. That'll be all right. It might take six or seven hours, but I'll crack on. The first, it was very hilly for the first half. I hadn't looked at the altitude, which was like 10,000 feet or something like that. Climbing over some mountain passes, dropped down at halfway... No food or water with me by this point. At halfway, it suddenly becomes off-road. I hadn't clocked on the Strava route. It was off-road on the way back. Mm. Out of water, out of food, following this gravel track around Mount Etna. Every time I looked at Strava, I'd moved nowhere. I managed to find a mountain hut that had a well, an old well that I could get some water out of. <laughs> and I got this water after about six and a half hours, drank all this water out the well, Phone me. I had some reception. Phone me, Dad, saying, "Listen, I'm safe, but don't wait up for me." <laughs> and I managed to get back to Catania after nine and a half hours of riding on this hired gravel bike. <laughs> that was my epic day out last weekend. So, uh, so yeah, that was a proper, proper challenge. And the last hour was all downhill descending for for a full hour at the end, which was good because I was completely shot by the time I got to it. <laughs> it's it's a good job that when you were getting in that well there wasn't a dead sheep in the bottom or something or a <laughs> yeah yeah i wouldn't have cared to be honest the funny thing was it was that it was when it's you know it's your uefa champions league final liverpool and uh by the time i got back my dad and his brother were just hammered in the local bar trying <laughs> to speak italian <laughs> telling everyone that um italians were just were just diving cheats and uh, liverpool were by far the better team but luckily no one understood a word of anything that was going on. It's, it was like an Italian version of a lower low. Do you know? <laughs> hey, that's, well, that's a great, that's a great story to start off the, the podcast. So I'd, I'd set you this, uh, this topic because a few months ago I was asking people on my Facebook groups, uh, what are the biggest mistakes people make pre-race? Not checking the route. 
pre-race. Yeah, so you've warmed us up nicely there, Mark. Not not checking the race route, you know, not bothering to read the manual, um, all of that sort of stuff. So uh, I'm going to go around you both now again. Oh, go on, Mark, just finish off. Can I just give you another example? Like, so, no. so I think... No, that, I'm going to get. To, no, I'm going to let Steve do his example first, and I'm going to come well, back to you. I'm just going to say, like, you know, I would say that, like, really simple things, like checking the route, are really important. So, like, look at the course before and find out if it's hilly or flat, and and obviously, you know, make sure you don't leave your back wheel at home. Anyway, sorry, Steve. I'm just going to pass this one on to you, mate. Oh, uh, you've has he warmed you up nicely there, Steve? I was, I was sort of, I was. <laughs> So, so Steve, you did, you did you did one of Mark's races recently. Tell us how that went. I did. Well, I thought I'd, uh, I thought I'd uh, well kill three birds. One one I hadn't raced for four years, so I thought before I do this Ironman, it'd be good to get a race in. And uh, secondly, I thought, well, I'll, I'll I'll do one of Mark's races, you know, support what he does. And thirdly, I've got a, a good friend who lives uh, quite near the race venue, so I could stay with him. So I. Uh, I went up on the Saturday, went, uh, well, I called in the Mark shop, actually, got some new shoes. It was very busy, Mark. Thanks very much. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nice little place. Yeah, yeah. I looked it. Um, I went I went up to the race venue and um, sort of checked in and everything. Beautiful place. Had a little swimming window here. Cracking. You know, fresh, but beautiful place to swim. Went back to me and my mate, uh, standing about 30, 40 minutes away. And I'm just sort of, uh, you know, unpacking the car and get, you know, trying to get, starting to get things ready. And my um, mate, mate looks in the booth. He says, oh, your bike's gone in there. Well, and he it, it says, well, now there's a bike in there. And I said, no, yeah, it's, you know, it's a decent sized booth. And I sort of, I look and I thought, well, I'll get my bike out now. Only to find it had gone in so well because I'd only packed one wheel. <laughs> <laughs> this is, this is five o'clock, six o'clock at night. You know, the day before the race, I blame uh, direct drive turbos because I'd just taken it off the turbo, walked out, chucked it in the car, and left the front wheel uh, sorry, left the back wheel uh, in the garage. So, did, so what, so, what happened then? Was, was Mark I'm able getting, to rescue you? I'm getting oh, text messages, yeah. I'm getting text messages now, panicking. <laughs> he's just, as he said, he's in Sicily. <laughs> he gets a message, uh, Mark. <laughs> Anybody you know at the race when you've got a spare wheel? And to be fair, bless everyone. Mark's mate, he sent two up, didn't he? And I got an offer of another one as well. So I got, you know, the bless the community. Um, and to be honest, this comes back to what we're going to talk about in a minute. Having not checked the course out, of course. Um, I would have been massively um, overgeared on the wheel. On the wheel, I didn't bring, but the one I borrowed had a, a really, I think it had a 32 on the back, uh, which actually did me a favour. Um, but that was the that was the start of the uh, misadventures. For the second one, I got I had a lovely swim, really nice swim. Transition was all right. Got on the bike. Not too bad. I think the first sort of three or four K are mainly downhill, aren't they, Mark? Sort of a wind. Yeah, it's pretty flat along that dual carriageway, yeah. No, before I got there, before you got there. You oh, know, yeah, yeah, that bit out, the little back. Yeah. Back. So the first pothole I hit, uh, my saddle, the nose of my saddle dropped about two centimetres. Couldn't get it back up for love and money. Um, so I'm riding the I'm riding the whole bike with uh <laughs> with this saddle. Uh 
two centimetres or so lower than it should be, sliding off all the time. Um, got back to, well, to be honest, the, the bright legs never showed up all day. And the bright, I mean, the bright course is brutal, isn't it, Mark? It's called that man for a reason. Yeah. Epic, yeah, it is. I, is it 16, <laughs> 1700 metres of climbing? Um, again, beautiful course, but blimey, it took it out of me. So I'm sort of limping back into transition, debating whether to start the run or not. <laughs> and I got, I got about 2K into it. And I just thought, forget this. <laughs> and to be honest, I mean, the, the run course again is, oh, again, it's one of those courses, probably lovely to train on, but I just, I was so annoyed with it. <laughs> And it was trail routes up and down all the time, isn't so it? So you didn't just you didn't finish them, Steve. Did big DNF now. I did about probably um I don't know, a couple of K maybe on the run. Um but yeah, it was <laughs> Epic Man is definitely the uh mm. the right so, name for it. So not not only did you not check the race manual, you didn't actually check the heading on the entry form. <laughs> <laughs> well didn't take his bike. So when when was the last time you when when was the last time you had a DNF, Steve? You probably haven't had many, oh, have you? Oh, I, uh, I'm in Malaysia about six years ago. Mm. So yeah, but for the first, I mean, to be honest, it, it did the job. <laughs> Blew the cobwebs out. So what have you what have you learned yeah. ahead? What have you learned ahead of your next race then coming up um, in a few weeks? Take a complete bike. Yeah. <laughs> Check out the race course. That you know, that's one of my big ones. Actually, is is uh, for, you know, for an A race especially, is I, I think um, narrowing the course is is a is a powerful tool. I uh, a few years ago, well, many years ago now, I created a checklist for athletes for their kit, including things like you know, full bike. Um, because I'd had, I'd, had, I'd had so many people that were that were forgetting stuff. There was um, th- there was one guy that I coached, and he, he probably knows who he's who, who I'm referring to if he's listening to this. He he forgot his bike shoes. I think he went across to Ironman Florida, and he forgot his bike shoes. And I remember getting a text from him as he he got off the plane, uh, or, or he, somewhere his wife said, "You did pack those bike shoes up, didn't you?" And uh, he said, "Yeah," and she said, "Oh." Oh, that's good then. You must have another pair because they were still sat by the front door when we were leaving. And he went, oh, so he had to buy new bike shoes. And then it, there was something else as well about forgetting. So, oh, forgetting his timing chip on race morning. He left the house without his timing chip, got down to the race start. Obviously, they didn't have they didn't let him start with it. So he had to run all the way back to his apartment, which is about a mile and a half from the race start, and then back again. So he'd already done a three-mile warm-up before the swim. So I thought... I'll, I'll create a checklist for people to stop these um, things happening. Uh, but they still happen, don't they? St- yeah, you get a bit complacent, I think. Yeah. 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 What's, yeah, um, def- oh, yeah definitely, yeah. 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 What, what's been your biggest uh, pre-race um, mistake, Mark, that you can remember and that you're prepared to admit to? Biggest pre-race mistake? I mean, recently... Uh, hmm. I see. I think I'm pretty good at this stuff. To be fair, um, recently, you know, in October, I did Mallorca. We just went out for a bit of a 
hadn't really mm-hmm. done much training for it. Pretty much stopped training after July, to be honest. But we went out for a bit of a holiday and mm-hmm. let's just go into the Ironman and try and enjoy it. That kind yeah. of focus. And I think the transition closed at 7.30 and the race started at 8 or something. And I set my alarm for 5 to get up in the morning. And the alarm, I put earplugs in because I sleep badly. And the earplugs, I didn't hear my alarm. And I eventually opened my eyes and it was 7.20 when I woke up. Oh. And I jumped out of bed, grabbed my bag, grabbed a bottle of energy drink out the fridge. And I'm phoning my mate panicking. And I sprinted. We were a half a mile from where the transition was. And I sprinted down there and just got into transition to pump my tyres up before they shut it. Oh, wow. And then I had 30 minutes then before the swim starts. So I was trying to relax and get my suit on and not be anxious and just chill out. And, uh, yeah, so I didn't get a coffee. I didn't get a coffee critically, but but uh, oh. that, was, that was probably the biggest yeah. cup, you know, but, uh, but uh, yeah, pretty kind of, uh, yeah, was what it is. But but that's, that's probably the most recent one. But I do think, you know, just listen to what you're saying, though, about stuff and checklists and all this kind of thing. I was having this conversation with a few people this week. And, and I think we've talked about it and touched on it as well in the past with the podcasts that I think people are infatuated with the training plan. It's become not just the data, but the process and everything. So they're infatuated with the training program. So people will constantly be asking, for example, in the final two weeks, they're zooming in on like tapering strategies and what should the power be? What should the heart rate be? How many minutes on the taper? And they're so, so embedded on this, I can't miss a session and everything's got to be right. They're so embedded on that, they never actually take a step back. And I say, well, look, two weeks to go, really, as long as you're backing off a bit, the taper will look after itself. What you should be doing is making sure your bike serviced, you've got your nutrition sorted, you've got mm. your checklist sorted. But it's like the races and afterthought. I think as athletes in general, races have become afterthoughts. And they're so focused, they can't get their heads out of the plan of looking at the, what power should be on for how many minutes and this and that. And, and they do the sessions and then suddenly go, oh, Jesus, it's Friday. The race is Sunday. I better get my bike sorted. It was like two weeks before. You, you're not going to get any fitter. Like you've said earlier on, we were having a conversation about that, a guy that you're coaching. You're not getting any fitter in the last three or four weeks. No. What you can do, though, is do things which can, you know, you'll have seen this. People can, the way you execute an Ironman race, the way you approach an Ironman race and how you do it, there can be a two, three-hour swing in someone's potential performance and their actual performance. Mm. People who could do 11 hours end up doing 13, 14 because they just do it so badly. But they, that's like they're not focused on any of that because they're so focused on the plan. It's that routine or whatever. So I just think that's a lot of these problems are people over-focusing on the plan and just the race is almost like an afterthought. And that's why we train, to do well in races. Well, you know, let's. I, I've got this big long list that I sent you both um, after canvassing some Facebook groups. And there is a little bit in there about training. Let's talk about that first, because this this thing about the taper, and I don't know if you guys have suffered from this. Um, it's this whole thing about comparing and seeing what others do. Is you get to the and and you start second guessing yourself. So you get into that taper, and then you think, I haven't done enough training. Now, as you said, Mark, there's a limit to how much training we can all do, and there's a point at which you know you're not going to make any gains, and if you are, it's going to be one percent, and all that could be wiped out if you have to spend two. two minutes in the toilet in transition you know so but uh, especially if you're a novice at this you think well I can keep training hard as late as possible that'll make me as fit as possible and then you end up coming into the race too tired Mm. yeah or you you start panicking you especially now with social media when when 
certainly when I started, when Steve started, and probably when you started, Mike, we didn't have social media. So it was it was basically what your mates were doing. But if none of them were doing the race, it wasn't an issue. But now on social media, everybody always posts that hero session on Instagram that, yeah, just smashed out a 10-hour bike ride with a two-hour run. I'm feeling great. And then it's like, oh, oh hold on a minute. I need to do a 10-hour ride then. Um, and then they do that. And then they come to the race day and they're absolutely knackered. You, I mean, you, you're a coach, Steve. Have you, uh, and I guess you'll write programs that have a, a, a reasonable taper that get you into the shape that Mark's talked about, but that still can't override sometimes the panicking from athletes, can it? No, I think, you know, if, if you're looking in with a coach's head on, a lot of it is down to the individual psychology or character of the person. Now, personally, I can sit on my arse for race week and, and do nothing for four or five days. Because um, I know that nothing you do in those four or five days is going to make you any faster. It's what not it just, can do is... What it can do is... Though, is it Steve, to be fair? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, but some people... I mean, you know, the, the, the idea of doing something in, in race week is is generally to just sort of keep loose a little bit, check out the course. It's not going to make you fitter. Um, you know, you, you, you're going to sort of, you, you need to rest up. But for some people, you know, if, if they're the nervous or the anxious type or, uh, you know, the, the hyper, just can't sit still, then they might need something to do, you know, a little bit to do. You, they, it might be they swim, bike and run a little tiny bit every day. Just because it it sort of eases their, uh, you know, puts their mind at ease a little bit, really. So you might end up, you know, I, you know, people could do zero in the last week and do okay. People could do two, three, four, five hours. It depends. It depends on the sort of the their their individual sort of character and psyche, really. Um, but yeah, the, the biggest mistake. I mean, the classic sort of well-known example recently was it was it. Um, the last time Cohen was on, Lionel Lionel Sanders went out and did some ridiculous. Oh, he ran out sessions. to the ran out to the Energy Lab uh, two days before. Something, didn't yeah. he do something like a hundred mile bike ride two days before? Or something? well, I can remember I can remember Phil Graves riding out to uh, Harvey on the Monday before the race. So it's a Saturday race. So he he rode all the way up to Harvey. You know the full the full course yeah. and and. You know, and, uh, but uh, having already declared to everybody that he was going to smash the bike, and uh, he did, but he didn't run I, very well. I think I think Lionel Sanders did something more than that, and I think it was two or three days before something like that. And well, he did. I remember seeing. I, I, I remember seeing some video of him running out to um, to the energy lab from from um, the middle of Kona, no shirt mm. on either. So he was t- probably a couple of hours in the sun, middle of the day. Um, you know, on the Tuesday or Wednesday, yeah. So, so yeah, something. And he, he had a bit of a disaster in the race, didn't he? Um, he just finished but, in front uh, of Alistair. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you know that definitely for you know an A race is is doing too much, too close to the race. Um, it's difficult. It's difficult though, isn't it? You know, when you get to the venue and then, um, never mind the social media, you get to the venue and Kona's particularly like this. Um, you see all these people going out in the morning and riding. Of course, a lot of them probably aren't doing the race. They're just there to support. But you're thinking, oh, no, they're all riding. I've got to be out there. And then you see them all 6 a.m. in the morning going up and down the lead drive. Better be there. And, you know, you just end up, you just end up frazzled by, by Saturday. Yeah. Like you say, you know, it's easy to get sucked, especially a big race like that, you know, big Ironman or, or, or or world champs. It is easy to get sucked into that. Um, And as you say, 
you go to Kona and there's there's hundreds of people, thousands of people swim, bike and running, but you know, half of them aren't in the race. No. They're, they're there to support or um, you know, just like you go every year, don't you? Just to just yeah. to watch. I'm there. Yeah, they're probably all looking at me <laughs> thinking that reminds me of better yeah. do some swimming. <laughs> I mean the other what about the other things- oh, finish off Steve and then Mark's I, gonna- I mean just related to that is again a a, a big race is is it's it's very easy to sort of find too much to do. You know, that you've got big expo on, you've got all these sort of talks and you know, again at Carney, you get sort of research projects that are, are going on, asking athletes to get involved. You know, so I think you have heard you say it before, Simon, go go to the expo once a few days before the race. You don't need to go back every day just to check. <laughs> yes, check what's there isn't anything new coming in tomorrow. That's no. for sure. Well, that's, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to that one then, uh, Steve. Go on, Mark. You had um you had your hand up. Yeah, just gonna I'm going back to that same point I said before. To be honest, because listen to what you're saying there about you see other people out and they're doing more than you in the final week, or they're doing less than you in the final week, and you don't know how much you should be doing and when should you be backing off and what should the taper involve. And for me, again, the problem is people are so obsessed with that, and that for me is part of the training plan. What session should I be doing on the Tuesday before? What should I be doing on the Wednesday? My mate's doing a big bike ride. Should I be doing that? Do I need to fit in one more long session? Because he's fitted it in. Uh. And all of those things, whether they choose to do that longer session or not do that longer session, all of those kind of things will have, they will have a small impact on the race, ultimately. I mean, unless they completely overcook themselves. But the type of taper you follow is probably going to give you a tiny, tiny difference, realistically. As long as you turn up relatively fresh on race day, you're going to be okay. But when they're thinking of all that, it's still what they're not focusing on is the race. So I know people who are maybe mediocre athletes, but you know on race day, they will produce the best possible time they are physically capable of doing. They will nail everything. Mm. And then I know people who are far more talented mm-hmm. who will finish behind them because they do it. They just don't get those things right. So it's all very well worrying about what should the session be on Wednesday and what's that guy doing and what's this guy doing. But then they'll turn up on race day, go off too fast and have a panic attack or hyperventilate in the swim, pace themselves completely wrong on the bike, completely screw up the nutrition plan. And all of that training, the previous six to nine months, have mm-hmm. been a complete waste of time because the execution is dreadful. So again, for me, it's this shift away from what happens in the final two weeks you shouldn't worry that much about. It's pretty basic how to get that right. Stop thinking about that and think about what you need to do to nail race day. So a taper for me is a switch of mental focus to what do I need to do Mm. to be the best I can be because you're not going to get any fitter. So the fitness you've got now, can you produce the best possible performance with the fitness you have now switch your focus to thinking about that in the last two to three weeks. Uh, I think um, Inigo Mojica, who used to coach uh, Rana. Two, Rana, that's right. Yeah. He, uh, he's a research scientist as well, isn't he? Um, uh, is he not in Victoria Gaste, Steve? I think where you're going. Um, he was in Barcelona, wasn't he? But he, he was both in Barcelona. Yeah. He, he or somewhere. Yeah. reviewed a whole load of tapers and I don't, I don't think even he could come up with the best taper because he said even, even the taper that you use for one race changes depending on the conditions, you know, your own lifestyle, what's happening. So um, I don't think there's consensus for me that the three key, the three key, key key things about training for taper are reduce your volume, do a little bit of intensity, like Steve said, to keep your legs loose 
And um, if you're used to training twice a day, probably keep training twice a day, yeah. but, but you know, you only need to go to the pool. I, I like to get rid of the running easily because that's the thing that tends to make most people's legs tired. I keep the cycling in a bit. And because most triathletes uh, are not as competent generally in the swim, I like to keep them with the frequency of swimming, but not much, you know, 20 yeah. minutes a day. Uh, and that's it. And like, like you said, Mark, it's, it's all the other stuff around that and elementary mistakes. I remember one guy from our training club, they all went off to Nice and he had watched some football game and the Nice stadium was fantastic. So he took them all on a walk around Nice to try and find this football stadium. They spent two hours the day before <laughs> Ironman France walking around in the hot, you know how hot it can get down the south of France walking around in the afternoon to try and find this football stadium to only to get there and look at it from the outside and go, Oh yeah, well that's it. It's closed now back. They were, they'd all got, they'd all got really tired legs. Um, and you know, you've, you've probably done a few expos, um, Mark as a, you know, running a trade stand. I've been in Kona and seeing people coming back every day, like Steve just mentioned to walk around, See, oh yeah, there's there's Mirinda Carfrey signing autographs. I'll go and queue up in the sun to have one with her. Oh, there's Dave Scott doing something. I'll go and queue up in the sun. You know, just keep your feet off. And what was our thing, Steve? Have that grazing day two days out and sit and eat fig rolls. <laughs> I seem to remember. I seem to remember joining Steve in his um, in his patented Steve Lumley approach to uh, Ironman preparation, and it seemed to work out quite well. Yeah, like that fair amount of coffee. <laughs> coffee and fig rolls yeah well one thing i will mention just on, on the subject of type we, we've sort of concentrated on longer races and then probably like yeah you know the more keen athlete is doing more if you're a sort of relative beginner or novice or or you do and or you're doing a shorter race mm-hmm. um you know the, there is a question is do you need to taper because mm-hmm. you've got to have something to taper from um you know, and if you're if you're sort of uh, just starting out, or you're just one of these guys, people who, who don't have time to do much. If you're yeah. doing sort of four, five, six hours a week, uh, you know, as you're training, there is an argument that you don't need. You know that that isn't. And if you're if you're doing that consistently, is that enough to warrant a taper? Mm. Yeah, nice. No, it's, it's a good point. Good point. Um, you know, you, you you could be in a position where there where you are actually going to lose fitness. Um, mm-hmm. So you know that that's worth considering as well. I mean, it's you know we're all coaches, and I think when people say, well, "I don't need a coach," sometimes having a coach where that they can put your mind at rest, that you can talk to them if you trust your coach, and hopefully if you're working with them, you do trust them. And the coach says, look, you know, don't worry about what all these other people are doing. You're fit enough. Let's, the, the coach will get your mind focused on the things you need to do. And invariably, as Mark said, and have you touched on, Steve, if your race starts to unravel before you get to the, you know, as you get to the venue or on race day, it's invariably going to be things other than fitness that are responsible. It's very rarely fitness that's responsible. Most people will turn up and, and be on the start line in a physically good shape. And often it's logistical, isn't it? As we've talked about, you know, um, that whole thing about, uh, we, we were just talking pre-show about somebody getting r- new running shoes that they've not running yet with three weeks to go. Now, again, you and I, Mark and, and Steve, we've probably all seen people going around the expo looking at, oh, buy new running shoes. Oh, I'm going to get these new wheels for race day. Oh, put a new saddle on. Um, you've got a knowing <laughs> look on your face there, Steve. Yeah. Oh, years ago, I went to uh, 
uh, Ironman Canada with her mate. And uh, that, wasn't me. To, that wasn't that wasn't me. No, no, this, I did that was Ironman Canada with you twice. No, we've done it twice. This was even before that. This was like 25 years ago, something like that. And he bought a pair of running shoes in the expo the day before the race and yeah. wore them on race day. And how did he get on? And, uh, well, he did have a varied collection of blisters. I mean, he finished. He's one of these guys who is as tough as old boots, you know. So he finished, <laughs> but he, he was suffering. <laughs> but yeah, the day before. I, I got given it. I was doing um, Ironman UK when it was in, uh, in Lamberis. So it was a half and it was in um, in the lake there. And Ironman wetsuits had bought out these two-piece ones, you know, that had no zip in the, the top was like a smock. And yeah. I mean, it actually turned out to be a really comfortable wetsuit because there was no zip at the back. So no, none of that rubbing. It was just like a like a polo neck type thing. Um, and so um, the Dutch guy that was doing the Ironman stuff then, he said, oh, we've got one of these to try. Would you like to try one? So I wasn't going to do the whole race anyway, but I tried this wetsuit. And I mean, it, actually, I had a good swim. I just couldn't get it off when I got into transition because it was like trying to pull... Uh, you know, a bike shirt, when it gets really wet, it just clings to you. And it was like trying to pull that off on my arms are cramping up. And I was trying to pull this thing over. Yeah. Um, I, I had to get a bit of assistance to get that out. So uh, I'd sort of, um, yeah, I've committed the cardinal coaching sin. Don't try anything new on race day. Do as I <laughs> do, as I say, not as I do. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the tweaks to the bike and the bike position and the bike equipment is, is another thing, isn't it? Sort of similar to that. Leave it alone. I think I did that actually before Ironbridge. I put my saddle up a little bit so I could so I could look like I was way more aero, and my glute was so <laughs> tight. My glute was so tight when I got off the bike. I, I just cramped up about halfway through, and I couldn't finish. How about you, Mark? Any equipment errors leading up to a race? No, I never get them wrong, Simon. But I. Uh... But you might <laughs> know a man. You might know a man who does. Yeah. But I know a man who does. Yes, my mate Pommy, who I cycle with, he is full of it. The number of stories. I mean, you could just go through like 20, 30 stories just from a single race. Give us your favourite. My favourite one was a couple of years ago when he did Ironman and he bought a new hat because it was forecast to be sunny on the, on the Sunday at Bolton. So on the Saturday, he bought a hat at the Expo. It's just a baseball cap, light baseball cap. And he wore it for the marathon. And when he finished, he, he said his head was nearly exploding. It was baking hot. And uh, he was in, and he looked like a beetroot. His face, and when he took the cap off, there was a, a plastic, uh, you know, like a polythene layer inside, and he hadn't taken it out. <laughs> <laughs> and his, his head was absolutely baking. <laughs> I, I had to go on mute there for a moment. That was funny. <laughs> There was we, we had a guy that was racing with us from our from our club and we were all out, out doing Ironman Switzerland and um, this guy was bald and he didn't wear a cap to run and somebody said, don't forget, put sunscreen on when you come out of transition two, you know, it's going to be really warm today. And he actually said, sunscreen, I've never worn sunscreen, I don't need it. Anyway, he was still saying that when we found him in the medical tent later because he'd had heat stroke he's, and his head was probably like that guy's, you know, it was just bright red on top of that they were giving away red bull and he'd had four cans of red bull on the run 
and he was getting heart palpitations as well. So not only has he got heat stroke, he was getting heart palpitations. He'd never tried Red Bull before as a nutrition thing. So that probably leads us nicely into um, some other errors. It's, it's just that race day nutrition. Mm. Yeah, I mean, just I think, you know, just on the equipment, is, uh, I mean, another, another example, personally, that illustrates some one thing is that, you know, everything you're going to wear and use on race day, train with a lot of people say oh you know i'll i'll, I'll save it for best yeah yeah I'll, I'll save it for my races i mean and, and uh, again a, a good example you know it wasn't a disaster but it was annoying i i uh raced with an air i've got an aero helmet and i had and, and sunglasses now i i hadn't worn this aero helmet and the sunglasses together before the race and what i found was that the sunglasses were basically they were too small so the, the rim or the, the top of the sunglasses as when i was in the aero position was basically right in my side line of sight right so i ended up having to having to ride without without them they were that annoying um because i'd i'd, I'd, I'd worn the aero helmet but with different glasses that were, basically were bigger yeah, that's um, that's that's happened to me as well. Except it wasn't it wasn't the glasses that were small; it was the arms were too big, and so when I had to push them in, that pressed on the inside of my head, and then that right. ended up giving me a headache. So a similar sort of thing. I just not yeah, yeah. just not thought to check that the arms because there were those ones where the arms sort of bow out a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So whatever you know, use it in training, wear it in training. So check checking your kit. Let's let's talk about checklists and sort of pre race. Um, arrangements because that seems to cause a lot of uh, a lot of issues. You got any stories there, Mark? There was one a few years back. I should say this was what a few years back. I did leave my try. I went to Iron Man UK in Bolton and I left my tri suit on the kitchen table. Mm-hmm. And when I got there, I didn't have a tri suit. And I phoned my next door neighbour, and he went round and got it. Woke up my wife, got the tri suit, and drove down to the swim start. But we only lived like thirty minutes from the swim start, so it wasn't too bad. So there was a, that that was one year when I made a complete cock up. We talk about lists because I have, to, I I think lists should be in in, in there's, there's two pro, two lists here, two things to focus on. The one is your list of kit that you need to have on the day. Don't forget this, 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 and this, including your tri suit and your back wheel. Mm. And I'm rating back wheels as a bigger <laughs> cock up than a tri suit. So. Uh... <laughs> These are the things you need to remember to take with you. And even things like, you know, if you're mixing your drinks the night before, people leaving the drinks in the fridge. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was <laughs> really another, yeah. Easy, really easy to do that. Yeah. So I literally, I'm really paranoid about that. I can't sleep if I don't have a list of, when you get up in the morning, make sure you get your drinks out of the fridge and do this. So I have a list of things mm. that, um, um, that I need to have and also a list of when those things need to be done by perhaps. So yeah. the first thing you do in the morning is do this. But then I'd also have a separate list, but I think it's not really a list. It's more of a race plan. So as I'm going to the swim start, there's the other aspect of thinking about, right, when I get in the swim, how should I swim? What should I be thinking about? So there's your race process, if you like, your race plan. Yeah. And I need that written down. But then I've also got my checklist of what I need and in what order I should be sorting those things out in the morning. In fact, what I might do is post this um, as a show note for the podcast. I created a a race day timetable so you know like some some races have a long walk from the transition to the swim start yeah um if you can remember in iron bridge you used to have to walk upstream didn't you to the swim start so um 
you need to be ready with your kit. Some races will let you have a, a warm up and get in the water. Some don't. So I, I started right. You need to be in your pen at 10 to let's say the race starts seven o'clock. You need to be in your pen at 10 to seven. So you need to finish your, your warm up by quarter to seven. So you need to be getting your wetsuit on a half past six. So I need to be in transition, checking my bike at quarter past six. So I need to be parking my car and walking from transition to the car, uh, from the car to transition at six. Then I'd drive the route from my hotel to the, or my venue to the um, race route and, and leave a bit of time because when you turn up at quarter to six, lots of other people are turning up. And if there's only one entrance to the car park, you could be stuck in a, you know, you're stuck in a queue sweating then, which is what happens at the outlaw events. Um, then, I, then I'd work back, right, what time, what time do I want to have breakfast? What time do I want to go for my final poo? What do I, what, what, what do I go through my checklist, get my drinks out of the fridge, have my first poo, have my breakfast. Then that takes me right back to what time I really want to be putting my alarm on for. And then I have three alarms. So I don't have what you have, Mark. I wear my watch on my wrist. So it vibrates. I've got another alarm next to the bed and I've got another one in the other room. So hopefully yeah. one of them will wake me up. Yeah, I've still got that spreadsheet. So yeah, yeah, that, that would be useful for Paris because that's that was always a good good little tool. Yeah, and, and I mean it's really simple. And like you say, Mark, it then takes the pre the those um the pre or the pre-race nerves that you get the night before because you can go to bed having ticked everything off. And I also have um I also created a timetable for race week. So there's like you can work through this with your coach, all the things I actually need to do. So I need to travel to the race. I need to do this. I need to get to the venue. I need to go to, I need to go and register. What day do I go and register? Probably need to go for a swim in the lake or the river. I need, or the sea. I need to probably drive around the bike course. Um, in the old days, there was a pasta party you had to do and you'd have to go to a race briefing. So I'd put those in and then there's a bit of training. And those are like, those are the only things that I need to do this week. So yeah. on, on one day, you might only have two jobs, go for a swim, and go register and that's it the rest of the time spend off your feet in your apartment um I, i'll tell you this you might you might have been there actually steve right so when when i was when fiona and i were together we were out in lanzarote and i said to her right don't you don't you go out today because it's really hot you know you'll need to come and check your bike in but i'm going down to see some other athletes i've got some videos for you um so i'll leave you watching those i'll be back late and then we can go out for dinner um early i left her with the green mile it's a three-hour film. I thought, oh, that's brilliant. A three-hour film. She can just put her feet up in the air, con drink water. Apparently, it's very traumatic and upsetting. <laughs> Came back, she was a ball of tears. Not exactly what I had planned. <laughs> well, I think that's that stuff that you're talking about, those checklists. Yeah. Those are the kind of things that, going back to this thing of people not reaching their true potential on race day, mm. those are the kind of things that people need to be focusing on. Yeah. In the last two weeks. And whilst when you're saying it, it sounds perfect sense. Mm -hmm. And why wouldn't anybody do that? But people still go nod their heads and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But don't do that. They don't use those checklists, but they are worried about what, how much, how many intervals should they be doing on the Wednesday before the race? Mm -hmm. Stuff which will have no bearing on the performance. Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, definitely got to be that shift in the final couple of weeks. There's got to be that shift. You don't want to be changing new tyres on the bloody Saturday before the race and all of that kind of stuff. You know, all the bike shops are booked up now for bike servicing locally. Well, that was what I was going to say, you know. Yeah. Um, no, and it's that stuff. You can't leave it till the last week. 
get the checklists now. Start working through it. You're as fit as you're going to be. Just do enough to keep maintain your fitness and for your confidence. Mm. If anything, back off a little bit, but start focusing on this stuff that you're talking about now. Yeah, I think that's a good. I mean, it's worth re. Well, we have touched on it. It was re, worth reinforcing that if it's your eye race, especially get your bike serviced, mm. get new tires, get new tubes. Mm. And the other thing is, when you get your bike serviced, when you set your gears up, set them up for your race wheel or your race cassette. Mm. Because obviously, as you know, when you change from one, you know, training training to race wheels, there's always a slight difference. Um, so if you can't, you know, if you're not, if you haven't got the ability or, or the confidence to tune them yourself, when you when you when you get it serviced, get it set up as as it's going to be on race day. There's there's another thing that I just I just wanted to raise here. Um, you know, when particularly when people are traveling to events and and if they're going away, you know, and they're going away for a few days, um, I, I often see a lot of people putting loads of work commitments. You know, the the, the actual stuff. If if they're going on holiday and they're going to be out of the office for ten days because they're you know you mentioned going to Ironman Canada, Steve, you, you're going for a you're going on a big trip, so you're going to be away for a few days. So you're going to be away from your desk. So people are are working themselves silly, like they do before they go on holiday, working long hours to get all that stuff. That stress, and I think Alex Hutchinson wrote about this in his book Endure. If you spend two hours glued to the computer, the actual fatigue that that causes is like doing ninety air squats. All right, in terms of how how tired you feel, it's it's brain fatigue rather than physical fatigue. So if you imagine working eight or 10, 12 hours a day for five days before you go away to get a project finished, that that in itself is going to have a debilitating effect on all of that training you've done. Um, so I, I think it's really important to think about how you can minimize the stress in, in those days before you go to the race. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's that's a difficult one because not everybody can. No, I appreciate that. Put it off. But yeah, I think, you know, is, is don't think, oh, I'll have time because I'm tapering. I'll have, I'm yeah. training less, so I can work more. Um, yeah. You know, again, it is difficult. Depends on your job and your situation. But, yeah, tr- I would, if possible, avoid that. Um, and, and just accept that stress is stress. The body doesn't recognise where it's coming from. Um, the other thing that I've seen is people travelling to foreign races and, and sort of going far too late. You know, particularly if you're going somewhere warm. I, again, Mark, um, Steve, back to your point there. I know that some people have lifestyles that perhaps don't um, enable them to do this. But if it's really warm, you do need some time to acclimatize. So if you can't do that by going to the the venue, you know, like we talk about going to Kona, you know, it's a huge it's a huge change to be there in October than it is in the UK in October, for instance. So at least do some acclimatization or acclimating beforehand. Um, I do remember one one chap I was coaching who um, we we were going to a race and because of his business he he um, he wasn't able to travel you know until it was really close to the race. But he gets off the flight on the Saturday morning. He was going to be able to go to straight to transition. Yeah, put his hotel, put his bike together, go to transition, put his bike in, do all of that, and then get ready for the race in the evening. Except his bike didn't turn up and. The air, the airline company said, "No, well, we'll be able to get it on the next flight tomorrow morning," which, which was the start of the race. So that was it. Got on the flight and went back home. <laughs> Didn't race. So you know, if he'd if he'd been there a day earlier, maybe he'd have been able to overcome that. So um, mm. 
Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just going back to the again an example that springs to mind. You were talking about sort of nutrition and everything, and and checklists and getting everything right. Mm-hmm. I, I can't off top of me head. I can't remember who it was, but it was it was at Kona, and it was a well known pro at the time. I, I want to say Peter Reed or Laurie Bowden, but I might be wrong on that. But anyway, there was um somebody, one of the top pros, and had. Had, had a bad race, had GI problems, I think. And it turned out that uh, their race drinks had been mixed by somebody else. So I think their partner or the coach had mixed the drinks to a different strength. I think they put more in than, than was wanted, which had led to sort of GI problems and either a bad race or a DNF. I mean, that just sounds something that is so obvious that, you know, mix your own drinks <laughs> or at least watch them being mixed. <laughs> mm. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the whole nutrition thing you talked earlier on about practicing nutrition, I don't think it needs to be practiced that many times because I think we get a bit obsessed with it in triathlon where you, you know, you go to do 10 Ironman paced rides where you practice nutrition every time. You just go out, you know, just do one ride at your Ironman pace in your aero position, just practice your nutrition through. And if you just do one and just do a dry run, that's probably more than most people do, to be honest, because the bulk of people, we, you know, I genuinely think the bulk of people are literally in the days before their Ironman are thinking, right, how many gels am I going to take on my bike with me? And what can I get at the aid stations? And I think part of that is a lack of education as well. Because if you know you have to take this much salt and this much carbohydrate and you look at people and think, what are you doing? Why have you not got this planned out? But I don't think a lot of people even know that, you know. So there is a lack of education there. But, but you know, just just if before your Ironman, just just do it once. Just pencil in a day on the calendar where you are going to ride 100 miles on your race bike with all your race kit on and you're going to go through an exact dry run of your nutrition plan. And if you do it once and it works okay, then at least you've had a dry run through it. You know, it doesn't need to be done every single week in the last eight weeks. But I think most people probably don't even have a single dry run for it, uh, you know, and don't really have people come into the shop here to buy nutrition the week before and they're like saying, what, how many gels should I take? And which ones are the best ones to use? And that's the week before the event, you know. So I think there's a, you know, there is a lack of education in there that people don't know it. So you can't just blame people for something they don't know. Mm. But I also think it's just a bit, yeah, again, lack of specificity, isn't it? It's a lack of race specific preparation. Because they're too busy bogged down with the routine of their plan. The whole nutrition thing, actually, it, particularly if you're traveling to foreign countries, is always worth checking out what the local the local food is. I know people who are vegetarians who've gone to places like Austria and um, Estonia, where you know being a vegetarian wasn't particularly popular and probably still isn't compared to some of Western Europe. And so, if you go there expecting to find lots of restaurants that that have vegetarian food you're probably going to be disappointed i know i know quite a few pros and i know jack was one of these uh, steve that used to take their own food and cook pasta and, and even stayed away from the pre-race pasta parties because you just couldn't be sure about what you were getting to eat so yeah i remember taking um when we first started the um world world class talent yeah, program like yeah, yeah. 20 odd years ago oh i took a group of youngsters to poland to do a to do an ETU race, you know the hotel was interesting. The food was even more interesting. It was nothing that anybody recognised or liked, and there was a real problem, especially on race morning, 
uh, with you know pre-race breakfast and well, you know, Richard Jones at the time was mm-hmm. was sort of um, racing that uh, that distance, and one of the top athletes. He'd gone to the race as well, very experienced. And I distinctly remember him turning up for breakfast, getting a plastic bag out, box of cornflakes and his own milk. Yeah, you know, and and had his his cornflakes and milk pre-race. You know, just got you something he'd learned is that you take your own if if in doubt. So. I know you guys have got to get get off in a moment. So if, if we were to summarise, I think the key lesson I'm I'm hearing from you, Mark, is the taper and the type of training you do and the, the makeup of the repetitions and the intensity in that final two weeks are nowhere nearly as important as uh, getting yourself organised logistically, administratively, making sure you know what's required for the event, where you've got to be and when you've got to be there. and making sure you're aware of all those because i mean that's the that's the one just to summarize before i finish summarizing it's the one the one characteristic i've seen arising a lot now with social media is people asking other other people oh what times do you know what time red caps are starting um and relying on other people for information who might be getting it wrong not deliberately they just they just think that that's the time so they give them information out you know people ask you well where does the route go oh well can you tell me go look it up for yourself don't rely on anybody else so it's more about your admin and your logistics to get things right on race day than it is about the actual makeup of training yeah i mean like you said before you can't you can't get any fitter in the last three to four weeks realistically you can't there's no point trying to cram any training in so it's really just confidence and and um routine as well keeping that training ticking over if anything, start to freshen up in that four-week period. And like you said before, in the final week, don't be heroic the weekend before. But other than that, stick to the routine then in the final week, just half the volume, do a little bit of intensity. You know, there's no silver bullet there. And as long as you arrive relatively fresh on race day, you might as well spend the next three weeks sorting out all the logistics and thinking everything. But And again, but the other one, again, that that we kind of haven't as much touched on is that race strategy. Mm. So people just overpacing the bike, getting the swim wrong, getting the nutrition plan. Just, you know, how many times have you had people who race in Ironman and they'll post afterwards, oh, I just completely cocked up my nutrition. How? How? It's an energy bar or an energy drink every hour and a couple of salt tablets. How complicated can that be? You know, six to nine months of training where you can tell me every single digit, every single power figure, every single heart rate. What? You can't take a gel every 30 minutes. You know, because they're just that stuff. They've just not thought it through. It's criminal if you screw up your nutrition plan and forget to take stuff on race day. Absolutely criminal. You've wasted the previous nine months. So that (sighs) race strategy, get it dialed in. And then do it on race day. It ain't complicated. I'm glad you managed to get a rant in, Mark. You normally do. So brilliant. <laughs> what? What, Steve, uh, can I? Can I? Can I? Yeah. Well, actually, on on that subject, can can I propose as that as a as a separate podcast is like long Iron Man, particularly actual race strategy. Yeah, yeah. Let's well, strategies. Obviously, there's more than there's more than one way of looking at it. But I think that that is um a good subject for a for a separate. Okay, but yeah, I mean, just to summarize, I think you know, preparing for for your your A race, whatever distance, I think is about minimizing stress. So most of you or a lot of your stress will come from training. Reduce that. A lot of your stress will come from worrying about what can go wrong on race day. That's mainly mechanical. 
reduce reduce that you know look after your equipment um and then the other one as as we've we've all said is is logistical yeah you know wherever gonna be you've got to be what it, you know get that sorted <laughs> Mark's got to go to a meeting, but he's got to get this yeah. pointed before he goes. We're going to do one on, on stuff like race strategy. Can we talk about people thinking they can predict what they can hold for six hours from a 20-minute <laughs> Should yeah. we do that one? Listen, my FTP, which is actually isn't my FTP. I guessed my FTP based on a 15-minute ramp test, and that'll tell me what I can hold for six hours. And then can we talk about people who bike under six hours and then walk the entire marathon <laughs> and brag about the fact that they went under six hours Went on the six hours, mate, for the bike. Yeah, but you walked the marathon, didn't you, mate? Should we talk took, about that as well? And it, and it took you six and a half. That's a good tease for the next one. For those of you wondering what sort of credibility Mark and I and Steve have got, I've been doing um, – I did my first Ironman marathon in 90, uh, triathlon in 1995, and I've done 19 at that distance. Steve? Uh, you've done, you've done more. You started your, your earlier and done more than me, haven't you? Uh, yeah, first one in 91, I've done – 39. Mark? First one in 89. Iron Man? Ooh. Age 17. <laughs> right. <No. laughs> and, and how many have you done since? You know what? I'd seriously, I've done school. I've done a school cross country on the Saturday. I, I just want to know. I just, I just want to know how many you've done. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to add them up. <laughs> I've not done massive amounts. I prefer to go for quality rather than quantity. Right, you know, so you've, you've, you must have done at least a dozen. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Right, so that's that. that we've so we've got at least fifty under about and about and about fifty years of racing. So I think, and but never knowingly made any of those mistakes we talk about. They're all they're all secondhand and hearsay. But <laughs> I, I think I think we've I think we've demonstrated our credibility to discuss this subject. And listeners, in our next podcast, we will be talking about strategy for race day and not basing your bike performance on a spurious FTP figure. How about that? Yeah. Yeah. It's a really simple rule here, Simon. Mm-hmm. If you want to know what power you can hold for six hours, go and ride for six hours. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, listen, gents, let's not leave it six months. Maybe we'll do a bonus podcast. Um, yeah. I'll get you back on the show as soon as it's physically possible to have you all on the same zoom at the same time for now. Thanks very much for uh, um, sharing an hour of your afternoon with me. It's been enjoyable as always, and I look forward to seeing you again soon. See you soon. Thank you. To make sure you don't miss any episode in the future, please go to iTunes, search for High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast, and subscribe. And don't forget that Blake bribe. I've got a free gift for anyone who signs up to the mailing list, and you can find that link in the show notes below, or you can email Beth at thetriathloncoach.com. So thank you again to Mark and Steve for being guests on this week's podcast. It's probably about four or five episodes we've recorded now and there will be more in the future. And as usual, there are links to all of today's discussion topics in the show notes below. So that's it for this week. Hope you have a great few days and I'll see you on the next episode.